there with me. It'll be up on the screen as well. Um, But uh, yes, Galatians chapter 6, we're going to read verses 7 through 10, and then we'll pray and ask God for his help. So let's read Galatians 6, 7 through 10. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you always for this time that we can gather together as your people and worship you and glorify you. And so, God, I just pray that you'd help us to focus, um, teach us this morning through your word. Pray, God, that you would get me out of the way and, and that you would, you would show up. And I pray, Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit and through the teaching of your word, you would lift up our heads in our walks with the Lord, wherever we may be in our life, to help us to have a deeper perspective and appreciation for our life now and until we die for the kingdom of God. Amen. Let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. That's the encouragement this morning. Do not grow weary in doing good. Now, I want to very quickly give some context for these verses uh, that we just read, 7 through 10. Um, and that is, it's, it's pretty simple, very quickly. Um, so Paul's writing a letter to the church in Galatia, and he's speaking to believers. And he actually starts his point in verse 6, so the verse right before that. And he says, essentially, to support your teachers, support your pastors with all good things. Now, when Paul says all good things, that is very broad. Uh, many commentators would agree that that certainly includes money and resources, but that is certainly not all that it is referring to. Um, all good things could include an encouraging word, email, text, emotional support, friendship, and accountability, and many other things. But to narrow it down uh, to just having it mean money is, is a very narrow interpretation of, of that verse. And so we move from verse 6 into verse 7 and 8, where he mentions this illustration of sowing and reaping. And then we get into verse 9, where he then has the exhortation of not growing weary and doing good, and then closes his point out in verse 10 and says uh, to do good to all people, especially to those in the household of faith um, or the church. And so Paul starts by making his point in verse 6, right, by supporting your pastors, and then uh, closes that point in verse 10 and broadening it out to all people, uh, especially to those in the household of faith, which tells us that these biblical principles that we're about to go into uh, have much broader uh, application, okay, as well as a specific one, but a broader application in our lives, which is where I want to spend our time this morning, not so much talking about supporting your pastors, although that is very important, but that's but rather the broader principle in in verses 7 through 10. And so I just wanted to to give some context there as to where we're landing in Galatians. But if I had to sum up this sermon um, in a single statement, uh, in a couple, in a very few amount of words, it would be think big, 
and act small. Think big and act small. So if you remember anything from this sermon, uh, remember, uh, hopefully remember that phrase, think big and act small. So um, this is where we're heading. Uh, the, uh, I first want to define some things, some terms, and then we're going we're gonna to ask and then hopefully answer two questions. Um, what would cause a Christian to grow weary? Paul tells us not to grow weary. What would cause a Christian to grow weary? And then how can I not grow weary in doing good in spite of those causes? So let's quickly define some terms here. First, what does Paul mean by weariness? Um, it's not overly complex. Paul's not referencing to physical weariness, like you go out for a run and you have a, a cramp. That's, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a spiritual weariness, a spiritual exhaustion, which could be understood as the state in which a Christian is experiencing a loss of heart, discouragement, exhaustion, sadness, or even depression that can lead to sin and is outwardly shown most commonly with an attitude of apathy, complaining, and or selfishness towards his or her current life situation. A spiritual fog or sludge that disrupts discernment and perspective. That's what we mean by weariness. And what does Paul mean by good? I mean, that's a very broad term. Are we just talking about deeds that just make whatever, do whatever you need to do to have, just put a smile on their face, just no standard of, of good, good, or, or what are we talking about? When Paul uses the term good, he means living in a God-honoring, God-pleasing way. The only one good is God. We can do no part from God. So to do good is making decisions in all areas of life that intentionally honor and please God. And then finally, what, what do we mean by sowing and reaping? Or do we all have to become farmers? Uh, are we talking about needles and thread? What, what are we talking about? No, Paul, or Paul's using this very common illustration that's used throughout the Bible frequently to help us understand that our actions, or lack thereof, uh, will reap something, good or bad. They, they matter a lot. So Paul uses that illustration. Now, we get back to our text in Galatians 6, verse 9, and we read, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So we just defined some terms. So now let's ask the question, what would cause me to grow weary? Well, there's a lot of causes, um, but we're only going to talk about two of them this morning. Um, and so the first one, the first cause could be due to a lack of results, a lack of results. So we gather this from verse seven, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. The illustration of, of sowing and reaping in verse 7 that we just read, and then in verse 9 where he says, for in due season we will reap, it places us in a scene, in the scene as a farmer sowing seed, a Christian doing good and working diligently unto the Lord and not for man, being faithful and day after day coming out to his or her field and seeing dirt. So that can certainly cause a spiritual weariness. The questions and doubts that can arise within our own souls due to the lack of results can be so convincing. It could be deceiving. And Paul says, do not be deceived. 
Well, we could say things like, this is all a waste of time. It's not worth it. Well, are you sure? Of course I'm sure. Look at the field. There's nothing here. There's nothing. It can be so deceiving. And that may be you this morning. Maybe, maybe you walked in this morning feeling this. Maybe you're saying, walking with Jesus doesn't seem to be working I'm doing all the things that I ought to be doing imperfectly, of course, avoiding sin and obeying God, and I'm not seeing the results I want to see. My life seems small, robotic, and mundane, more of a pile of insignificant responsibilities than a field of kingdom opportunity and eternal impact. So I'm just tired and flat. This cause of weariness in the Christian life is real. It's convincing and deceptive. Paul says, do not be deceived. Sowing and reaping matters. It really, really matters. And we see a glimpse of this in Hosea chapter 10, verses 12 through 13. And in the beginning of, of chapter 10, God has blessed Israel with, with, with goods and possessions. But Israel rebelled against God. In idolatry, he stiff-armed God and, and said, we will love our idols and our own desires with our, our time and the goods and possessions that you have given us. With what you have given us, we will love our own way. They did not care where they were sowing. It was not a big deal for them. And then God goes on to talk about the judgment that followed because of that. And so then we get to verses 12 and 13 where uh, we hear God's command in contrast to what they've already done. And this is what he says, sow for yourselves righteousness. Take time to sow for yourselves righteousness. Be intentional about that. Reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground, for it is the time to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. You have plowed iniquity. You have reaped injustice. You have eaten the fruit of lies because you have trusted in your own way and in the multitude of your warriors. So do not be deceived in thinking that what we do day to day, no matter how big or small, doesn't matter. It matters immensely for the kingdom of God. So the first thing that could cause weariness is a lack of results. The second thing, the second cause, could be due to trials. In the end of verse nine, we're given the exhortation for endurance. If we do not give up, to not give up is to endure, to be steadfast. In James 1.12, it says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Paul mentions in 2 Corinthians 4.16, So we do not lose heart. We do not grow weary. It's the same word in the Greek in, in Galatians. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And so another way a Christian can grow weary is due to trials. And some of you know this very well. Maybe because you're going through it right now as we speak. Where weariness has moved into heaviness. And your heart shares with the words from the psalmist in Psalm 77 when he says, 
When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit has made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Or with the words of Job, I loathe my life. I will give free utterance to my complaint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. I will say to God, do not condemn me. Let me know why you contend against me. Does it seem good to you to oppress, to despise the work of your hands and favor the designs of the wicked? If I say you watch, you watch me and if I sin, you watch me and do not acquit me of my iniquity. If I am guilty, woe to me. For I'm in the, if I'm in the right, I cannot lift up my head for I'm filled with disgrace and look on my affliction. Or maybe with the apostle Paul himself. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Trials can certainly cause weariness and discouragement and heaviness within the Christian life. Now let's answer the next question. How can I not grow weary in doing good in spite of those causes? And this goes back to the phrase that I mentioned earlier this sermon, and that is, think big and act small. We notice this in verse eight, in Galatians six. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. The thinking big is reap eternal life and the acting small is so to the spirit. To unpack this even further, uh, we can say it like this. A new, as a new creation in Christ, you are given a new perspective, desire, and hope to take what God has given you and to be present where God has placed you to make eternal impact. Now, I want to kind of quickly pull over here and I want to just mention a few things about verse 8 that I think are really important to note to have in our theology for us to understand like what's going on in this verse. Um, so just want to quickly tend to that real fast. So with verse 8, the first thing that's important to understand is that this is not teaching a works-based salvation. They have to, you have to so, 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 so in order to, to get, get to heaven. That's not what it's saying. Why? Well, uh, Paul absolutely dismantles this in uh, Galatians 1 and 2, uh, in Galatians chapter 1 and Galatians chapter 2, where people were preaching a works-based gospel, and he says, if anyone preaches another gospel or distorts the gospel of Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. And he says in Galatians 2, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ, in, in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because by works of the law, no one is justified. 
He dismantles this in Romans, uh, many places in Romans. But for example, Romans 3.28, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. And in many other verses in Romans, but the last one here, also in Ephesians chapter two, right? For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God and not a result of works so that no one may boast. So Paul is not teaching a works-based gospel, period. Well, then what is exactly is he saying? That's a great question. Um, and this can get into a little bit of a rabbit hole uh, that I, I don't want to get into, but I'll explain it, I'll explain it this way. Um, it's very important for you to understand that the Bible clearly teaches that if you have believed in the true gospel of Jesus Christ, you will be born again and you will be regenerated by the Holy Spirit and will desire to do God's will and desire to sow to the Spirit. And one day, you will be with Christ forever. And for all those who do not repent of their sin and place their faith in Christ, who are not born again, they are still dead in their sin, in love with their flesh, sowing to their own flesh and walking the course of this world, which will end in destruction. So that's very important to understand biblically. But at the same time, what is also equally important, very important to understand, is that the Bible teaches that Christians wage war against their flesh daily. The inclination as a Christian for laziness, for pride, for anger, for sin is still very much there. We carry this body of flesh. Galatians 5.17, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. If you read Romans 7, you'll, Paul articulates this very well, this real known battle between the flesh and the spirit and many other places. But praise God that all whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. God will complete the work that he started. Praise God. And so in that, we battle against the flesh and the sin and pursue holiness. So very important to understand that. But here, here's the point. As Christians, we can absolutely waste our resources waste our time, say no to doing good to our neighbor, to our friend, to the church, etc. We can certainly sow into our own flesh, which will inevitably result in nothing, in a dead end. But because of the Spirit and being born again, we can sow to the Spirit by being intentional in our decisions and to honor and glorify God day by day, being faithful in doing good, that our reach and investment of our life will extend far past our lifetime for the kingdom of God in doing good and will hopefully, by the grace of God, reap eternal life in lost souls. And so that might be through your children, your friends, family, community, church. In fact, it is through your children, your family, your community, and your church, and yourself. And so here's the reality. As Christians, we hear that and we say, yes, Lord, I desire that. I desire to sow to the Spirit. So what Paul's doing in this text, he's talking to Christians and he's exhorting them and he's encouraging them to not grow weary. And he's exhorting us and we ought to exhort each other to seek the Lord on how we can sow to the Spirit in every area of our life. To seek the Lord on what that looks like for you in your life and where God has you. And so it's very important to understand that, that verse eight is saying that. Um, but going, kind of pulling back onto the highway here, um, uh, the thinking big is 
reap eternal life, and the acting small is so to the Spirit. So now let's go ahead and answer the question, how do we not grow weary in doing good in spite of those causes we talked about? The lack of results and trials. The simple answer, we think big and act small. We set our day-to-day perspective on the eternal hope and glory promised by God and we faithfully sow while we wait. We recall to what we know and not to what we see. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. Listen uh, to this verse. It should be up on the screen as well. We do not lose heart. Though our outer, outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul gives us a big perspective here, a glorious one, one that we ought to set our minds on. The trial is preparing something. It's presently active. It's a seed that will reap something huge. There's growth happening underneath the soil. A.W. Pink wrote a little book called Comfort for Christians, and in that book he has a short little chapter on this portion of scripture, 2 Corinthians 4, and here's what he says. The present is influencing the future. It is not for us to reason and philosophize about this, but to take God at his word and believe it. When weight is added to the value of gold or precious stones, this increases their worth. Heaven's heaven's happiness cannot be expressed in the words of earth, so figurative expression are used to convey some aspect to us. The glory awaiting us is weighted indeed, weightier than anything terrestrial and temporal. Its value defies computation. Its transcendent excellence is beyond verbal description. Moreover, this wondrous glory awaiting us is not fleeting and temporal, but divine and eternal. The great and blessed God is going to give us that which is worthy of himself. Indeed, that which is like himself, infinite and everlasting. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Wait, Paul, I'm confused. How do I look at something that isn't seen? We think big. You recall to your mind what you know to be true, and you tell your heart to set itself on that. Romans 8, 28. And we know, not that we see, but that we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. James 1, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Why in the world, James, should we count it all joy when we face trials? For you know, not that you see, but you know that the testing of your faith 
produces, it, it's doing something. Same word in 2 Corinthians 4. It's, per, it's active, it's producing something. An eternal weight of glory, as in 2 Corinthians 4, but also steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect. That's the hard part. That's where weariness can set in and bring, but bring to your mind that when steadfastness has its full effect, you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Lacking in nothing. You take hold of your new, blood-bought, finalized perspective and hope by thinking big. You recall to, what, to your mind what you know to be true. Earlier ago, we read Psalm 77, a portion of it, and it continues on, and this is what he, this is what he says. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O oh God, is holy. What God is great like our God. Think big. A.W. Pink also helps us on how to specifically and practically faithfully sow to the Spirit on how to act small in the midst of trial. This is a beautiful quote. Um, it's a little long. I don't know if it's as long as the other one, but bear with me here. It's a beautiful quote. Here then is what faith is invited to do. To place in one scale the present affliction and in the other the eternal glory. Are they worthy to be compared? No. Indeed, one second of glory will more than counterbalance a whole lifetime of suffering. What years of toil, of sickness, of battling against poverty, of persecution, even a martyr's death, when weighed over against the pleasures at God's right hand that are forevermore. One breath of paradise will extinguish all the adverse winds of earth. One day in the Father's house will more than balance the years we spent in this dreary, dreary wilderness. May God grant us faith that will enable us to anticipatively lay hold of the future and live in the present enjoyment of it. The hardest trials produce the weightiest glory that will one day be revealed. Recall to what you know, not what you see. The next question, how do we not grow weary due to a lack of results? How do we not grow weary in doing good due to a lack of results? And as I mentioned before, it's easy to be deceived into thinking that our efforts in doing good and sowing are not doing anything. And I would argue that this lie is stronger than we would like to admit in the lives of so many Christians today, mainly due to our current social media-driven, consumer-obsessed, comfort-loving American culture, where it's so easy to compare. It's too easy to compare, to covet, to idolize, and grumble about other people's lives and to base everything off of immediate results, immediate external results, and then expect instant gratification, a, a kind of result-driven Christian life. You may be dreary due to a lack of results or excitement, a redundancy or routineness within your life. Thinking your life is small and feeling like your calling is non-existent, 
What do you do? You think big and act small. Your life, no matter how small or big it is, no matter how much influence or lack of influence you may have, your life is a field of opportunity for the kingdom of God. Your decisions matter or lack thereof. The mundane and the exciting, the small and the big, they matter. You're sowing seed that will reap eternal life. But Justin, I don't have a big career or a fancy platform, I know. But that's not what it's about. You have a life that has been redeemed by the blood of Jesus and God cares about your life and your faithfulness with what he has given you and where he has placed you. Therefore, go and sow. Verse 10, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those of the household of faith. As we have opportunity, as we are still alive, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are the household of faith. The good that you do for your children is not a waste. The good you do for the church is not a waste. Your prayers when no one is watching is not a waste. Your war on sin is not a waste. The love you show to your friend is not a waste. The patience you show to your husband or your wife or your children is not a waste. The integrity that you have at work when no one is watching is not a waste. Going to church and worshiping God and hearing his word is not a waste. Do good where you are and in whatever you're doing, especially to the body of Christ. And what does this opportunity look like? It's all of life. Is it a big stage or behind a screen or starting a business? Maybe. Maybe God may bless you with that. And that's great. Be faithful in it. But I'm talking about something bigger here. I'm talking about something bigger than that. Well, what would be bigger than that? Being intentional with the everyday routines and rhythms of life. Charles Ryrie wrote a book titled Balancing the Christian Life, and in it, he wrote a chapter titled Routine Faithfulness. And here's what he says. Too often, Messages on the spiritual life focus on crisis experiences in the believer's life. The exhortations of such messages normally call for some crisis decision. If a Christian hears such sermons year after year, either he becomes insensitive to the constant ringing of the alarm bell, or he associates spirituality only with crisis situations. Admittedly, we often need calls to decision, and certainly spiritual principles should be applied in the crises of life. But it is equally true that since most of our time is spent in the routines of life, we ought to apply spirituality in these areas as well. Thus, it is the routines of life, as well as the crises, in which a spiritual person will exhibit faithfulness to his Lord. And these are often the most difficult areas. Not only is the area of routine a problem for spiritual living, but consistency of practice is also a problem. There are very few who cannot gird themselves for the unusual. Most can produce when pressed. 
This is also true in spiritual matters. If we are called to lead on in public prayer or if we're asked to participate in some sort of campaign in the relation to the Lord's work or if we are backed to the wall concerning our faith, most of us can find whatever is necessary to come through in such situations. But we all tend to let our guard down in the routine. And if the same routine is our lot for very long, we inevitably grow weary and often disheartened simply because the routine gets us down. Do not think for a second that your everyday tasks in your job, in your home, with your friends, for the church, or in your whole life don't matter. And that the only things that do matter is when everyone else is watching or the milestone moments of life. No matter how small or seemingly insignificant they may seem or look, they matter. Why? Because sowing seeds is boring. Just like the routine faithfulness. But when you know that God is not mocked and that those who sow to the Spirit will reap eternal life, they mean a lot. And what God cares about is faithfulness. One day you'll stand before King Jesus and if you are in Christ, bought by the blood, the words that will come out of his mouth will be, well done, my good and faithful servant. Not my good and successful not my good and rich, not my good and accomplished, not my good and popular, but my good and faithful servant. Embracing routine faithfulness is embracing the hardest part. Don't grow weary. Don't give up. Today you have the opportunity to do good, to sow seeds that reap eternal life. I don't care if you've graduated high school or if you have five kids. I don't care if you're single or if you're retired. You have opportunity, and it starts today in your life where you are, not when you get that one job or when you move to that one place or when you get married, but now. Do you view your life that way? Think big and act small. In closing, I want to share a few final thoughts, and we'll be done. This is a battle with the flesh for sure. The ability to grow weary in doing good and to sin due to trials or due to lack of results lies close at hand day by day. But the weariness of the flesh cannot exhaust the Holy Spirit because he is God, the third person in the Godhead. And so remind your soul and preach to your flesh, God is not mocked flesh. He will not be held in contempt come harvest time. I will do good and be faithful in the midst of adversity. I will set my eyes on things not seen. I will remind my soul of the glory that is to be revealed because of this trial. God is not mocked flesh. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. God has called me to be faithful and to do good where God has me today. And as I have opportunity, I will sow seeds day by day that will reap eternal life. When the pressures, pleasures, and deception of this world press against me to crush me, I will consider him, Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. 
I will not look to myself and my own efforts or to any human, young or old, for strength, but I will draw my strength from God who does not grow weary or faint-hearted. I will look to him and gladly wait as I walk in obedience. Isaiah 40. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. My right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask for your help, Lord, to think big and act small. God, that we would set our minds on you. We would look not to what is seen, but what to, what is unseen. Help us now, Lord, by your spirit to be faithful day in and day out. Lord, we ask all of this in your son's name.